Good morning. We are resuming our journey through Genesis. And so if you want to grab a Bible and open it up to Genesis, we're going to be in chapters 21 and 22 today. And we're going to begin by reading the account of God fulfilling the promise, a promise that he made 25 years earlier. And it's, it's amazing. It's not amazing that God keeps his promises. He always does. Um, what's amazing is that God makes promises in the first place. You know, to foolish, fallible, rebellious people, God makes promises, and he always keeps them. Um, and so God had made a promise to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah 25 years earlier, which seemed completely unlikely, impossible, and now we see him begin to fulfill it. So, uh, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And that's a play on the word, the name Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? I don't know, maybe God. <laughs> Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You, get, you, you see all the emphasis that this is a God thing? I mean, what does it say about Abraham? In his old age. He was old. He was 100 years old. In his old age. The dude was old. <laughs> It's a very unlikely promise, but, but write it down. God always keeps his promises. Always. No matter how unlikely they seem, God always fulfills his plans. He is doing it. He is fulfilling his plans in spite of how often we reject his ways. I mean, it's one of the big lessons of Genesis. God creates what's good. God determines what's good. God provides what's good. And in spite of all the times we say, no, and we bring all kinds of misery upon ourselves because we want to decide for ourselves what's good. In spite of all of our foolishness, in spite of all of our rebellion, God is determined to fulfill his plan to display his goodness, his glory, to bring his blessing to this world. And the birth of Isaac is a key event in God doing just that. God promised, he made a promise, he promised to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation and to bless all the peoples of the world through them. And uh, this was, as I said, a very unlikely promise because they had zero descendants when this promise was made, and they were so old. And in spite of that, in spite of how impossible this promise seemed, and 
we might note, in spite of some really stupid things that Abraham and Sarah did along the way, which could have ruined the whole plan, you know, like Abraham saying, yeah, she's my sister, and somebody else takes her. Uh, God had to bail them out of that a couple times. In spite of all the dumb things they did, God brings about the birth of Isaac. And it's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's not, it's not the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan, but it's an absolutely critical part of it. You know, this plan ultimately comes to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate descendant of Abraham and his death and his resurrection. And we await his coming again, as we just sang about, you know, when the trumpet sounds and he comes and he fulfills all of God's promises. So this is not the, you know, ultimate fulfillment of God's plan, but it's a very critical part of it. I mean, Isaac is the heir of the promise. He is crucial. And you need to know that. Because that makes what we are about to read next all the more disturbing. We're going to fast forward about a decade, chapter 22, and we're going to read one of the most troubling stories in all of the Bible. And then we need to consider why it's here. Why, after enjoying the laughter of chapter 21 and the birth of Isaac and this wonderful key event and the fulfillment of God's plan, why do we have to come to chapter 22? Why do we have to read this? Verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It's certainly a dramatic story. And as I said, it's troubling. I, I don't think anybody can read this story and not be bothered by it. Why in the world, especially given who Isaac is, the key heir of this promise, but considering all we know about God and his commands and his law, why would God tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then at the last possible moment stop him from doing that? And more to the point, why do we need to know this? This ultimately was put here for us. What's the lesson? Why after the joyful story of Isaac's birth do we need to read this? What good does it do us to know this story? Well, I want to get at the answer, but to get at the answer, I want to first give you a few partial answers. And what I mean by a partial answer are answers that are true so far as they go, but they're not, they don't go far enough. They're not complete. So let's start with this one. Partial answer number one, God tests the faith of those who trust him. God tests the faith of those who trust him to strengthen their faith, to make it stronger, In other words, the reason God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then stopped him from doing that was to build his faith, to strengthen his faith. And the reason why the story is here for us is to teach us, well, that's God does that. For those of us who have a relationship, if you have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received his free gift of eternal life, the gift of his presence and his direction in your life, you've responded to God, then you can be sure of this, God will test your faith to strengthen your faith, to make it stronger, because that's what God wants for you, to increase your experience of ultimate joy by trusting him more. Is that true? Well, yeah, that's true, so far as it goes. We're told right up front, right at the beginning of the account, God tested Abraham. And the book of James tells those of us who belong to Jesus Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, growth, strength, stronger faith in God. So God tests our faith, and he has our ultimate good in mind when he does that. That does not fully explain this story. Because you and I will never be tested like this, ever. God will never ask you to take one of your children and sacrifice them as a burnt offering. Never. He will not do that. There's something we really need to understand when we read portions of the Bible that are what we call narrative or story. You know, the Bible's not just one kind of literature. You know, it's got songs, it's got poetry, it's got proverbs, it's got prophecy, and one of its 
genres or one of its kinds of literature is narrative. One of the things we've got to understand, when we read narrative, when we read about these different characters, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're saying, well, what lessons do I need to learn from this person's life? And that's good, but you have to be careful with that because though those people are like us in some ways, there are other ways that we're not like them at all. And that really comes clear in this situation with Abraham. Abraham had a unique role in God's plan to redeem humanity. And, you know, we're like Abraham in some ways, but in this situation, we're not very much like him at all. He's unique. I mean, the promises that God made to Abraham, the promise that he would have more descendants than than the stars in the sky, and that they would inherit the land of Canaan, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through them. God didn't make those promises to you or me. You know, He didn't tell you that you're going to have a child in your old age after all hope of having children was gone. So if you come up to me and say, hey, God told me, you know, because I read this story about Abraham, that God said, I'm going to have a child in my old age. I'm going to say, no, you're, you're misreading your Bible. Okay, Abraham was a one-of-a-kind person. This was a -a one-of-a-kind test. And it's so important you get this. God never asks anyone else to sacrifice a child. And sometimes people read this and they say, oh, God, why would he do that? That's just so awful. That's just so, yeah, we know. That's what makes the story so disturbing, so shocking, and why we have to ask. Because the people who first read this, the Israelites... As Moses received this revelation from God and gave them the law, again and again in the law, it absolutely forbids child sacrifice. That's what the Canaanites were doing. The people that the Israelites were going in to dispossess as a judgment from God upon those people for their wicked ways. Deuteronomy 12.31 You must not worship the Lord your God in their way because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. Example, they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifice to their gods. This is abhorrent to God. So the idea that this story is just here to teach us that God will test our faith and make us stronger, that does not do justice to this story. It's too unique. There's got to be more to it than that. So that brings us to partial answer number two. God will provide for those who trust him. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I mean, it sounds like the moral of the story, right? And it's, it's a good one. Um, on the Mount of the Lord will be provided. The question is, what will be provided? Now, we know, because the Bible teaches it in many places, because we, we could say, well, you know, God provides for our needs. You could sort of derive that principle here. All the necessities of life, like Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness And all these things, and if you look in the context, all these things means the necessities of life, like food and clothing, shelter, all these things will be given to you as well. And so is this story just another way of teaching us 
that God will provide whatever we need? I don't think so. I don't think so. And you know, Jesus was able to teach that lesson in a much less drastic way. So why did Abraham have to go through this ordeal? All the turmoil, the hardships of this three-day journey to offer his dearly loved only son as a sacrifice, and then at the last possible moment have God intervene and provide a substitute. Was that just so we could know that God will provide food and clothing and whatever we need? No. Again, I just don't think that does justice to the story. The full answer is bigger. And that brings us to partial answer number three. God will provide a substitute for those who trust him. Now, we're getting there. We're getting there. God will provide a substitute. Someone to die in our place. In other words, this story, this story ultimately points us to Jesus. And it does that in several ways. For one thing, I don't know if you notice this, but again and again, God calls Isaac Abraham's only son. And if you're even slightly familiar with the good news of Jesus, you know I mean, that's going to remind you of what the Bible says about Jesus being God's only son, like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then, here in verse 8, Abraham answers Isaac's question, I mean, this brutal question about where's the lamb? And we know what God said, and it, it's just, it's, it's excruciating, and, and Abraham answers and says, God himself will provide the lamb, and that, wow, that points us to what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then there's verse 14 in this statement, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And when you add it all up, this story is talking about much more than God just meeting our ordinary everyday needs. This is pointing us to Jesus as God's ultimate provision for our ultimate need. Just as Isaac, I mean, that's, this is part of the reason why this story is so shocking and it just it rivets our attention because Isaac can't die. Something's got to happen. There's got to be a substitute. And then God provides a substitute. And just as Isaac needed someone to die in his place, you and I need someone to die in our place. Because we all deserve to die. The Bible's very clear about that. It says it again and again. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. We're all guilty of sin. And the only way sinners like us can experience life in relationship with God who is utterly holy and good is if God himself provides a substitute. 
And that is exactly what God did. That is exactly what God did. Abraham said God himself will provide the lamb, and he did. His own sinless son, whom he loved, he carried the wood on his back, and he went to the mountain called Calvary, and he became our substitute. He died in our place. On the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, God did provide. So this story beautifully points us to Jesus. And yet, as beautiful as it is, as true as that is, as glorious as that is, it still fails to capture the purpose of this story. Say, why? Why do you say that? Because of how it's written. Okay, this is another thing to know about the Bible. Okay, it, it's not just words on a page. It's not just lists of truth, a bunch of statements, a bunch of to-dos or don't-dos or whatever. It's literature. And it's, it's, it's not just what it says, it's how it says it. It's how it's crafted. And you, when you read this story, did you notice how much detail there is here that goes far beyond just telling us what happened. Did you pick that up? See, this story could still point us to Jesus without all this detail. It could have just said something like this, quote, Sometime later, God tested Abraham and told him, Take your only son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham did what the Lord commanded. And as he was about to slay his son the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. And then the part about the ram, the substitute, and then the statement on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. See, it could have made the same points. It could have pointed us to Jesus without any of this detail. And yet, that's not how it's written. It gives us all this detail about Abraham getting up early in the morning and saddling his donkey, taking two servants, cutting wood for the burnt offering, traveling for three days, seeing the place in the distance, telling the servants to wait, we'll come back, putting the wood on Isaac, hearing his son's gut-wrenching question, where's the lamb? And then him building an altar and arranging the wood and then tying up his son and putting him on top of the wood, on top of the altar, and reaching out his hand and taking the knife. And I mean, it's, it's excruciating. It's agonizing. Why all that detail? To pull you into the story. We end up walking with Abraham through this ordeal, step by step. And you know something? Even though it tells us all that detail, you see the big detail it never tells us? What's the thing it doesn't tell us? It doesn't tell us what Abraham is thinking. It doesn't tell us what he's feeling. 
You know what that makes us do? We have to imagine it. We have to wonder. We have to say, my goodness, what, what, is, what is going through his head? What would that be like? In other words, it draws us in and it makes us feel it. And that's not an accident. That's intentional. It was written to do that. It was written to shock you. It was written to get your attention. It was written to pull you into the story. And it doesn't just point out that uh, God is going to test us, that God is going to provide our needs, that God is going to provide a substitute. It draws us in. It makes us wonder. And that's why I think the real point of the story is this. God wants us to feel how much He loves us in giving His Son for us. He wants us to feel not just what it would have been like to be Abraham. He wants us to feel how much He loves us in giving His Son for us. The anguish, the heartache, the turmoil. You know, because of this shocking story, we're forced to feel it. And because this story ultimately points us to Jesus, what we're really doing when we imagine this is what it was like for God the Father to offer His Son. Because, it, you know, as awful as this was for Abraham, and I, and I can't imagine it, I can't imagine what that was like those three days. But as awful as it was for Abraham, Abraham didn't have to go through with it. God provided a substitute. But there was no substitute for God's son. God really did give his one and only son to be mocked and beaten and spit upon and killed for us the substitute that we need. Why do we need to imagine how, what that was like for God? Why do we need to try to feel how terrible that was, how hard that was? I think this is why. It's so that we can know for certain, for certain, how much God loves us when we're in Christ. Here's the verse I think we're supposed to think of as believers in Jesus when we read Genesis 22. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And the verse right before it, Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've put your trust in Him, you've said yes to Him, You've received his forgiveness, his promises of glory. Do you ever wonder if God is really for you? Do you ever wonder if God really 
loves you. I mean, not just because he has to, because he's God, but that he actually really loves you. He did not spare his own son. He spared Abraham's son, but he didn't spare his own. No last-minute substitution. God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Do you realize what that means? That was the hardest thing God could have done. That was absolutely the hardest thing God could have done. Read this story of Abraham and Isaac and feel it. Feel how hard it was, how hard it would be for you to give up the life of your child. And however hard that feels for you, be sure of this, it was far harder for God because God loves his son beyond anything you and I can comprehend. Yeah, I, sometimes I think we think, well, if God does it, you know, because he's God, it's easy for him. God loves his son far beyond anything you and I are capable of. And he did that. He did the hardest thing. And if he did the hardest thing, if he did the most agonizing thing, if he did the most difficult thing we can possibly imagine, and he did it for us, then we can be certain he will give us everything we ultimately need for our eternal joy and satisfaction. We can know that. God will never let the sacrifice of his son be in vain. Ever. If God let his son die to give you eternal happiness, he will never hold out on you. He will never fail you. He will never let anything happen to you that he will not somehow work out for your ultimate joy, no matter how unlikely it seems. And at times it seems very unlikely. We get in ourselves in a situation or we experience something, we think, well, yeah, right. God works all things together for the good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Yeah, sure. How God, how's God going to work this out for my ultimate joy? I don't know. But he gave his son for you. So working this thing out for your ultimate good is no problem. He's not going to be reluctant to do that when he already gave you his son. He did the hardest thing. So the next time you're going through some terrible thing, and you will, and you're wondering if God is for you, and you're wondering if God loves you, has he somehow become your enemy? Has he somehow forgotten about you? Has he somehow turned against you? And I just want to encourage you to remember this. Remember what God had Abraham do so that you could feel how deeply committed he is to your ultimate joy. And would you remind me? Because I need to remember just as much as you do. We all do. God wants you to feel how much he loves you because he gave his son for you. Let's bow together. We're going to be gathering around the communion table here in just a few minutes. But imagine it. 
you know, read this story. Think of Abraham. Think of how precious, how deeply loved his son is. I mean, the text tells us, your son, your only son, whom you love. And realize God wrote that down. God had that written down so you could know for certain how much he loves you. And don't misunderstand. We're not to hear this and think, well, God loves me so much, I must be really awesome. That's not the point. God loves us so much because he is so awesome. And let's just bask in the awesomeness of his love today and bring all of our troubles to him, all of our heartache, all of the things that just make us wonder if he's for us and just say, no, God is not my enemy. God is the one who loves me most. We are far more broken and sinful than we ever dared imagine, and we are far more deeply loved than we ever dared hope. And the way to know that is to look at Christ crucified and risen for your ultimate joy. And if you haven't said yes to that gift, uh, you could do that today. And just call out to him. You can do it quietly and just say, this, this love is amazing, Lord. I just I can't even grasp it, but I want to say yes to it. And I want to experience it and I want to know that it's true for me and I want to be forgiven and I want to follow you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus, will be saved. Father, we we just want to pause and let this story that is so amazing and so shocking and so troubling and we want to we want to hear it the way you meant us to hear it so help us hear it that way help us understand that you did this incredible thing so that we would know how even more incredible thing the thing you did in sending your son and giving him that we might live that we might know you that we might be certain of your love help us know that lord help us feel it Help us live in light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.